Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. There's two ways you can help support this podcast. One is to go on the website and buy some of my audio products. I have lessons for the audio lessons for the ASA 101, the 103, and the 104, which will help you prepare for the written portion of the ASA exams. And the other one is to become a Patreon. I would really like to get more monthly Patreons. <laughs> I don't, haven't really had a new sign-up for the last couple of months. I think I'm getting about $40 a month from Patreons. And at some point in time, I have to debate whether this is really a good use of my time or not. I like doing this podcast. I never did it to make a lot of money, but I would like to cover some of the costs of, of hosting and uh, some of the other costs dealing with the podcast. So like I say... If you want to support this podcast, you can either buy some of my audio products, which get really good reviews. People that have listened to them have said they've really helped a lot. But the other way is to become a patron. So consider doing that. I would really appreciate it. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping you with everything you need to sew for your boat, from bimini's and boat covers to upholstery work and even sewing your own sails. Sailrite is your one-stop shop for fabric, sail and canvas kits, tools, hardware, and sewing supplies. Sailrite is also the maker of the patented Ultrafeed sewing machine, a portable heavy-duty machine that can handle all the sewing jobs for your boat and more. A passionate crew of DIYers, Sailrite produces high-quality, free how-to videos to empower their customers to turn their sewing dreams into a reality. Now let's get on to the interview. This is the, th- the fourth interview with Jackson and Xanthi on the vessel Finding Avalon. I'm back with Jackson Cranfield, and this will be, gosh, I think our fourth interview. Yeah. And, and the last time we talked, you, and you, were, you, you had just left the Canary Islands and you were, you were doing your Atlantic crossing. We talked about catching some fish and how you lost your yeah. fishing pole. So let's yeah. finish uh, the Atlantic crossing. What were the high and low events of the Atlantic crossing? Yeah, look, the Atlantic crossing was a really interesting experience. Um, it was a massive challenge and it was something that none of us had ever done before. Um, so obviously there was Xanthi and I, Xanthi's uh, father joined us. Uh, Neil, and he had sailed about a total of two days in his life. He'd actually done a competent crew course um, before he came, and it was blowing 35 knots, so they didn't even make it out of the harbour before he joined us. So he was very green to it. Um, And we had our other crew member, Luke, who I had met on the US sailing team in Miami when I was over there studying. Um, And Luke was quite an accomplished sailor and... um, had been working the last few years on a few yachts actually down here in Panama. So uh, we had quite a mixed bag of crew. Um, and look, it was, a, it was a great experience. The first five days was actually really quite hard work um, because we had a – we were heading sort of on our way down to the Cape Verdes um, 
before we were going to make our right-hand turn and basically head straight for St. Lucia. And there was like two, two competing swells at the time. And it was just a really rolly experience and quite a messy sea state for the first four or five days. And that really started to wear everyone down quite a bit, um, which was a little bit hard work. But the first five days as well, we also, um, like Neil and I were buddying up on our watches. So we're doing a three hour watch each. Um, and yeah, Neil and I were buddying up. So he, basically I was just coaching him and getting him familiar with sailing and getting him to a point where he was able to do his own watches. Um, and he did such a great job. He really picked it up really quite quickly. Um, we also, it was our chance to really work out our sail plan and work out how the crew were going to work together. Um, and the first, oh, the first three nights, um, because of the swell and also a few variable wind conditions, we sort of found, we found ourselves jiving at night, um, on two nights actually, which is definitely not something we really wanted to be doing. We didn't really want crew up on the deck and whatnot. Um, jibing spinnaker poles and all that but we were um kind of in a position where we had to because of the wind um and then we also had two crash jibes or accidental jibes um one of them almost ripped off the bathroom hatch window which was open because the main sheet got caught around that and the other one we basically sort of went to a full broach because the main had obviously backed and was pulling us up, but then you've got the spinnaker pole that was also backing. And so, so this, anyway, so this was a dead downwind run. Then it sounds like is that correct? Yeah, yeah, correct. So we were just goose swinging. We had the pole out one, the jib out one side, and the main out the other. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we actually ended up doing after that was we pulled the main down completely at night um, because we had a consistent look. The whole crossing we had a really nice consistent eighteen to. 25 knots and um instead of reefing the main and reefing the jib we actually just preference pulling down the main completely and just pulling out the jib at night full genoa mm -hmm. and we found we only really lost it about a knot surprisingly um and it just made it so much more manageable for everyone just having just the genoa out i mean everyone could sleep nice and easy um and gave everyone a lot more tolerance at night especially when they're tired um we didn't have a full moon, you know, it was, there was no moon the first few days, so it was hard to make out a horizon and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, we kind of just learnt those, learnt those lessons and got to know how the crew was going to work together. And, yeah, after that, without no pun intended, it was quite smooth sailing. It was really great. Yeah, um, that's that's what I I've learned that a long time ago on my boat. That that I I never go dead downwind with my main up. It's just not worth the risk. It's just too damn risky, especially yeah. if there's a lot of wind. And I and I get I have a hundred and ten percent lapper, and that's plenty of foresail yeah. for me. That moves the boat along just fine. But it just depends on how big of a foresail you have. And also I find that that if I'm going dead downwind, at least with my boat, the main out sends tends to makes it harder to steer it tends to want to pivot the boat around the keel yeah. and with the yeah. just with the jib out it's sort of pulling the boat instead of trying to twist the boat so yeah, yeah. you learned that too okay that's cool absolutely um we you know there were times when we did 
put up the main and we, you know, we put the second reef or third reef and we found that it would just help a little bit with the roll mm-hmm. depending on the wave pattern. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. We didn't really use it that much, um, which I didn't expect. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, in terms of seeing other boats, you know, I, it was like the second night, I think. And Neil and I were up there. It was about 3am and we, I was saying to him, I'm like, I can see a starboard light over there. And I don't know about you, Franz, but I find it quite hard judging distance of lights at night. You definitely um, lose your depth perspective at night, yes. Yeah. Depth perception. And, um, and I said, you know, we'll just keep an eye on that. And sure enough, like 20 minutes later, I was like, and there was nothing on AIS and we didn't have radar on our boat. And um, I was like, Neil, I think, I think that boat's really close. I mean, I think it's right there. And sure enough, like, there it was. Uh, we had to go into a crash jibe to avoid it. Um, and we must have missed it by a boat length. And it was like a 50, probably 50-foot 50 yacht, um, just cruising out there in the middle of the night, no one at the helm, just running on autopilot. Couldn't even see any lights on in the cabin. Um, and, yeah, that was just, uh, you know, to be out there, we were at that point, probably 400 miles offshore um and yeah almost had a near collision on the, on the third night i think you, um, you know whenever i see lights when i'm with the passages i did i just can never take my eyes off of them because you're right you have no depth perception and yeah. uh, the only way i could ever determine if we were on a collision course was pulling out my hand bearing compass and, and getting a bearing on it and yeah uh, that's yeah. that's what i end up doing when i see lights at night and you have no depth perception at all at night. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Now why did um, you now why did you decide now first of all, gotta ask a couple questions here. Yep. You, you wanted to go past the Tropic of Cancer, you didn't go straight across to the Caribbean. And uh and my understanding is the end of December is the ideal time for crossing. Isn't was that just a little bit early for the crossing, or is that the ideal time for the crossing? You left on November twenty fifth. You said, correct. Yeah. Uh, look, we did that simply because we we're part of the Ark, and okay. that was the time the Ark went. Um, and a, a few people had actually commented on that, and they basically said that the Ark, as an organization, has somewhat started kept making the crossing earlier and earlier or the rally earlier mm-hmm. to have people back by Christmas. Ah, okay, um, okay. So I think we were uh, a little bit subjected to that. And, you know, I would have – a lot of people we met had left earlier. Uh, sorry, had left later. We were definitely one of the earliest um, boats to go. and But we – you know, there was great consistent trade winds, Um it would have been better if we'd gone a month later, I'd say. You would have had a bit more consistent trade winds and a bit stronger. Um, but, yeah, I, I, you know, we didn't have a problem. But I think it just does definitely go season to season um, because if we'd gone two weeks earlier, I think it would have been a really tough time. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think we're right on the brink of a lucky window. Uh, and, yeah, it was just fortunate. And uh, and why did you, so you didn't do the rum line straight over? You went south. So was there weather routing that determined that, or was that pre pre planned out by the rally as well? Um, yeah. So as part of the rally, they do actually have a 
forecaster, a weather forecaster, mm-hmm. um, who, I mean, he gives you a, a suggestion. And for us, we had to sail about 500 miles south before we wanted to make that turn. And that was simply to get into those trade winds. Okay. Um, because, yeah, there was a bit of a high-pressure system from memory. Um, yeah, the Azores high right there. Yeah, yeah. You, you got the Azores high. And that, was, and that was sitting a little low um, from normal. So, yeah, we, we had to sail quite a bit south before we could get into that trade winds, which then was basically just a beautiful arc. It just goes all the way straight to St. Lucia, yeah. um, straight to the Caribbean. Okay. All right, so you, you made the turn, and what, uh, what was it like after that? Uh, yeah, like after that, all the days just seemed to blur into one. It was um, <laughs> it was really quite easy sailing. We all got into a really nice rhythm. Um, at that point, Neil was comfortable doing his own day watch and night watch. So each of us would do a three-hour watch on and then have nine hours off. And you'd have one night watch and one day watch each. Um, in amongst that, you know, we just all got into quite a rhythm, uh, you know, between the four of us. Breakfast was always, uh, you know, do-it-yourself kind of thing. And then lunch and dinner we always had together. So you're either cooking lunch or cleaning up after lunch and cleaning the boat and doing your rig checks as well. Um, So each of us would all do a rig check every day um, and go through and check every fitting and all that. Um, Did you ever find anything that needed to be repaired along the way? Yeah, definitely. Um, Again, it was all about prevention really trying to find it before something happens so you know we found uh interestingly because we seized all the shackles with seizing wire Mm -hmm. um we found a few shackles that had sort of worked their way loose um a little bit of chafe on some ropes you know we actually had to cut um probably about uh, i guess a foot off the halyard twice Hmm. um just because it was chafing up the top um and, yeah, I mean, when I bought the Halyard, I put on an extra couple of metres just because <laughs> the rigger had actually recommended it, saying, you know, you'll end up chopping bits off this, so put an extra couple of metres on. So, yeah, we just found little bits like that um, quite often. Um, but the only thing that actually really broke for us unexpectedly was the block for the pole kicker, Um yeah, it was unfortunately that we went a little bit too high and the jib backed and that was enough for it and that just went. Um, was this wasn't the one, too much of a was, problem. Was this the one on the mast or just the one that holds it on the deck? Uh, the one that holds it on the deck, okay, yeah. Okay, okay. So you could lash it down some other way then at that point in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but, yeah, we were, look, we were really fortunate. Um, we had We really had no problems. Uh along the crossing the the one problem we did have was that the fridge was basically constantly running um mm. and our batteries were getting quite low mm-hmm. um and our power consumption was a lot higher than I had anticipated so we were running the engine for about 3 hours a day to keep up with the power consumption mm-hmm. um and also just being about halfway through the solar started to kick in and contribute a bit more but yeah the first half of the crossing the solar just because of the clouds and um the point of sail as well because we're actually shaded you know for half the day 
So, yeah, power consumption was definitely a bit of an eye-opener for us. Um, but, look, as part of the rally, um, you know, we got daily updates of other boats and, you know, problems that people had had along the way. And, you know, there was, there was quite a few really sobering moments. Uh, on the third night of the crossing, there was a boat that had left with the ark but um, was not actually part of the ark and they actually lost a man overboard um, on the third night and there was four boats, I think, from the Ark that were helping in the search and um, unfortunately they didn't actually find that crew member and they called the search off after two days. Um, there was a boat that lost his rig uh, 700 miles out from St Lucia. Uh, there was two boats that hit whales one of them lost their rudder completely. The other one damaged their rudder quite severely, um, and he went. They went. They diverted to the Cape Verdes. There was another boat that weren't. They weren't sure what they hit, but they damaged their rudder and were taking on water. Um, but thankfully, they the amount of water that was coming in was just enough for the bilge pump to keep up with. Uh, but they had two boats from the Ark that basically buddied up with them and stayed with you know, a mile or two away with them for the whole crossing just in case things got worse. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, look, there was um, quite a few boats that weren't as lucky as us, um, um, how, for sure. How large was the fleet? Uh, I think there was 280 boats. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, and that was across both divisions. So there was a proper racing division and there was like a cruising division. Um. And yeah, out of our division, I mean, we were we were one of the smallest boats. I think we were like the fourth smallest boat, um, and we still managed to come. I think 120th, so we're sort of mid fleet, which we were really happy with. We we're beating a lot of 50 footers and whatnot. Um, so yeah, we were really we were really happy with that. Hmm. Well, now, do you have an electric auto helm, or did you manually steer the the, the, the crossing? Yeah, so we, we've got an auto helm, um, but we all agreed prior to the crossing that we would only use our autopilot for half of our watch. Um, so out of our three-hour watch, we would try and only use it for half of that. That was to make sure that, A, we didn't put too much stress on the autopilot. Um, and look, there were some days where the waves and the conditions, just the autopilot couldn't hold it dead downwind goose wings so you know we had to steer a lot more mm -hmm. um energy consumption as well we wanted to really you know when it, when the autopilot was working quite hard um it was obviously drawing a lot of power but the other thing i found was that uh when you're hand steering you obviously have to get in tune with the boat um and you got the opportunity to really find out if the boat was balanced and what it needed maybe you need to you know reef some sails or change your point of sail a little bit um and i think you can definitely start to forget that when you've just got it on autopilot um and plus we obviously didn't want it to break because the autopilot definitely becomes your fifth crew member um when everyone's tired and whatnot so yeah look we do have it but we tried to limit the use of it okay okay all right so now 
So those were the low points of the of the race, the uh, the yeah. loss of the crew member. That that would be very sobering. Now, were you in contact on VHS or uh, single sideband when you were communicating with the uh, with the group? Uh, all sat phone, actually. Sat phone. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we have an Iridium Go, mm-hmm. um, which basically, you know, you can just down. It's unlimited data. Um, so we were downloading the emails and all our weather uh and you can call and text off that as well so yeah we just use that we don't have a uh, ssb radio um which i hear is probably a good idea during the south pacific um but yeah we don't have that so it's just sat phone okay all right all right so you arrive in saint lucia let's talk for about your caribbean adventures then yeah absolutely so Look, after 19 days, we were pretty happy to uh, be arriving in St. Lucia at that point. Um, and the first few days was probably just one big party, really. Plenty of time at the bar, a lot of rum, um, and really enjoying all the fresh fruit and vegetables. <laughs> um, and, yeah, just catching up with our mates that we made along the way. Xanthi's uh, mum also flew over and met us over there, so that was quite nice to... Um, have have the family there and uh yeah we just explored saint lucia um you know there's quite a bit to do there there's waterfalls and a rum distillery actually which we went to and um yeah so we so we just cruised around the island a little bit um after oh, i think we must have hung out for about seven days in the marina um and then yeah headed out um and then Xanthi's parents left and luke left and I think Xanthi and I had a day to ourselves. Um, and then two of our good friends from Australia joined us on Christmas Day. And they were with us from two weeks, uh, for two weeks, sorry. And from there, we basically in two, what was it, sorry, two and a half weeks, we made our way from St. Lucia up to Antigua. Um, now, I'm, I'm, so, looking, I'm looking at the island of St. Lucia, and it yeah. doesn't look like there's much on the west side. Where did you, where did the rally end up at at St. Lucia? Yeah, you end up on, like, the northwestern tip at Rodney Bay. Okay, all right. Uh, yeah, which is a quite a good marina up there, actually. Um, and from there, we made... So, just talking about St. Lucia, we sailed down to Marigot Bay, um, which is a really nice stop-off. And then we sailed down to the Pitons, um, which I think... Oh, I'll have to look at the map, I'm sorry. Um, That's okay. But we... Yeah, like I say, I never do an interview without having Google Earth open in front yeah, of me so no. I can follow along. <laughs> um, I tried. I, I I did a couple of these uh, podcasts where I actually did a a video capture of everything that I was looking at, but it would just turned out to be too much work, so I never. Too much, I bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we sorry. We went down to Sugar Bay, um, and we took a mooring down there. Uh huh. Um, and that was where we then went and explored the island a little more, and went inland and did some rainforest walks. And um, yeah, it, it was it was nice. It was really nice. Uh, from Saint Lucia, we made our way to Martinique, which is north. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we made our way to Marin, which is just down there on the southern tip. Uh, 
for anyone going out there to cruise the Caribbean, uh, I, Martinique is just the place to be. I mean, it's a French island. Um, it's part of the Euro. They much order. Whoops. All right, we lost connection. Let me retry to call. Oh, we lost connection, so we'll just continue on. So you were talking yeah, about yeah, no worries. Uh, you were talking about uh, uh, St. Martin, right? Marin, Marin, yeah, uh, Martinique. Yeah. Martinique. So we made our way to Martinique. Um, so if anyone's getting boat work, uh, needs to do boat work, I'd really recommend Mar- uh, Marin to be the place, or just Martinique in general, mm-hmm. and particularly for provisioning. Um, we found it really hard work in the Caribbean, uh, cost-wise for food. Um, you realize quite quickly that the islands themselves don't really produce that much in the way of food, and so everything is imported. Um, so even just your basics were always really expensive, um, and that kind of took us by surprise a little. So Martinique was a good place to stock up in provisions. Uh, we wish we stocked up more because we assumed that all the islands were going to be similar to that. And we didn't do enough of it. Mm, good head, um, good heads up on that. Yeah, yeah. So look, we didn't actually hang out in Martinique too long. Uh, our alternator failed, so we had to pick up a new alternator there. Um, and then we headed off quite quickly from Martinique and made our way up to Dominica. Um, and we stopped off in Roseau, which is down the south end of Dominica, and. Dominica was definitely probably the highlight island in terms of just natural beauty. Um, It's an incredible little place. It's been hit hard by the hurricanes. You'll find a lot of the islands have been really hit hard by the hurricanes and are still recovering. Um, But here in Dominica, I mean, right pretty close to the anchorage there, um, you have Scott's Head. Which is down the south mm-hmm. tip, yep. and that was a, it's an amazing marine reserve, uh, full of life. There's the Champagne Reef, which is these thermal hot springs, um, so the whole reef is bubbling, which is really cool. And then we took a few tours inland and um, went and visited all the waterfalls and the rainforests, and um, yeah, it was just unbelievable. Like. We went to one waterfall in there called Trafalgar Falls and on one side there is this amazing cool spring water waterfall and literally just on the other side there's like a thermal hot spring above which spills out this steaming hot water. So you've got a steaming hot waterfall, a refreshingly cool waterfall and these pools down the middle where this water is mixing around. Um, and yeah, it was just—I I don't know—I haven't been anywhere like that before. Um, so, so, did you rent a car and drive around to catch these places? No, we actually. Uh, so, the person who organises our moorings there, his name was Mister Bean, mm-hmm. um, and it's really recommended that you take one of the moorings there. It wasn't that expensive. It was, I think, thirty EC. Where, which where, is pro- where were you moored at then? Uh, just the south side of Roseau. Oh, okay. All right. Um, it's quite recommended to take a mooring there because after the hurricane, um, there's a lot of debris still in the water. So a lot of people are snagging their anchors and whatnot. 
Um, and yeah, basically we just, you know, one of the best things you can do for these islands to support them is just to invest in the economy, right? So um, we just organized tours and it was pretty cheap just to have a driver to take you out to these places. Um, between the four of us, yeah, it was quite affordable. So yeah, we just had a driver. Okay. All right. And Rosa looks like a nice little village by itself as well. Yeah, yeah, really nice little town to just explore. I mean, it is also like there's a cruise terminal there, so every now and again there's a cruise ship that comes in and dumps a lot of passengers off. But when the cruise ships aren't there, it's, um, yeah, quite a nice little town just to go and explore. Okay. So from there we made our way north um, up to Portsmouth and we anchored up there actually and we did a tour of the Indian River. Um which, again, could really recommend. I mean, it was like a little private boat tour that goes up there. Um, and it was really nice exploring the rainforests by the river. Hmm. Um, caught some great fish around there. Uh, that was another high point. We caught quite a few. Uh, we caught two mahis and a nice Spanish mackerel. So there's plenty of fish going on there in Dominica. Um, and from there, we made our way... From Dominica, we had one night in Guadeloupe just as a stop-off, and then we made our way to Antigua. Um, and we actually spent two weeks up in Antigua. And, yeah, for those who haven't been to Antigua, really recommend it. Um, we went to English Harbour. Um, that was where we first made our point of call. Really easy to check in. I mean, all these countries are really easy to check in. Um, and, yeah explored Antigua. Well, that's a big there's, yachting island. I mean, there's a the big big yacht races come out of Antigua every year, don't they? Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. There's Antigua Race Week, which I think yeah. has actually just been now. Um, so, yeah, all the super yachts there. There's the big super yacht marinas. So, again, quite a few good facilities. I wouldn't say as good as Martinique, but definitely a good spot for supplies um, if you need to stop there. Um in terms of sailing, like, yeah, really accessible. A lot of little anchorages. Um, you don't have to pick up moorings everywhere, which is great. Um, we explored the eastern side of the island. We went up to Green Island. Uh, there was great kiteboarding up there. We actually just hung up there for about three days, just kiteboarding. Um, and just awesome diving. All these islands, just really, really great diving. Um, the thing we really loved about the Caribbean as well was... You know, each of these are just little day sails. So, you know, they're only 20, 30, 40 miles between each island, mm -hmm. which is really manageable just to set off in the morning. You've basically got the sea breezes. Oh, sorry, the trade winds. So it's just basically a reach yeah. straight over to these islands. Um, it can be a little bit rolly. Obviously, you're on a reach and you sort of side onto the swell. Um, but, yeah, it's it's worth it to be, you know, quite happily cruising at seven, seven and a half knots between yeah. the islands. Uh, so, yeah, once we're up there in Antigua, we spent a week there with our friends. They left us there, um, and Xanth and I finally had the boat back to ourselves after <laughs> two months, I think. Were you ready for um, some privacy at that point in time? Yeah, definitely. We were definitely ready to get our house back. Um, 38 feet just gets smaller and smaller every day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so... Yeah, look, we're happy just to chill out there for a bit and um, just do our own thing. Um, from Antigua, 
we made our way over to St. Kitts. Um, and we actually stopped off on a little island on the way called Redonda. It's only just a little rock that pops out. It's not a great anchorage in terms of holding. Um, there was sand at probably, I would say, 20 metres plus, mm -hmm. um, but that's a bit too deep for our anchor or for our windlass, sorry. Um, so we were kind of anchored amongst these rocks, um, but there is really great diving on the western side of that island. So we just stopped there for a day um, for a few hours and did some diving, and then we headed back off. There was like an amazing amount of like eagle rays, uh, turtles as well. And because it's a little uninhabited island, I mean, the animals there just weren't scared of you. Like, they would just approach you. They, they couldn't care less. Um, now, what's the name of this island again? Redonda? Is that the one? Yeah, Redonda. Okay, because okay, yeah. I'm zooming in on it right now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it looks like a very steep island with not much anchorage around it at all. Okay. Oh, no, absolutely not. So you, you have to go on the west side. Uh -huh. um, and then when you're on the west side, about halfway, basically right in the middle of that island, um, there's a spot to anchor. Okay, um, yeah. You know, we did watch a few YouTube videos of um, other people that had spent had been there overnight. I guess if you've got the right conditions, it'll be okay. Um, but we certainly weren't comfortable anchoring there overnight. So from there, we made our way over to Nevis, um, which is northwest um and you've got nevis and st kitts mm -hmm. yep and we spent two weeks here um we didn't actually spend too much time on nevis we only spent about two days and just explored the little city but we made our way to st kitts and in between st kitts and nevis there's a little island called booby island Really, really small. It's like in the channel there, Franz, if you zoom in. So I'm zooming in on it here. Oh, yeah, a little, yeah. very, very small island then. Huh? Yeah. Um, you can anchor to the south of that island in good holding in sand. And that has been one of the most, like, that was one of the coolest places that we've been diving. Um, it is a really great reef. I don't know how many people even go there to dive because it's, when, you, when you're sailing past, you you would just sail past because it's a tiny little island. You don't think much is going on. But underwater, it was amazing. Um, with that said, it was the first time I'd been chased by sharks, spearfishing. Xanthi hmm. uh, and I were we were sort of in this, this big hole that was in the reef that went down probably 10 metres. Um, and there was a lot of lionfish down there. And... I'm sure as you know, but the lionfish in the Caribbean are an invasive species. So wherever possible, we do our best to spear a few lionfish, which mm -hmm. are actually pretty good eating. Mm -hmm. um, and I had two lionfish that I caught and I was going down for a few more. <laughs> and I turned around and there was this, it would have been a two and a half meter reef shark, I'd say, three meter reef shark in the hole with us. <laughs> Um, and he was he was just cruising around hoping to get some of these lionfish. And um, I can tell you, friends, we were pretty quick smart out of that hole. Yeah. Now, uh, now I'm looking at this island, and it looks like just a little circular island, and there's actually a reef. Is there a barrier yeah. reef around that island? There is, yeah, yeah. So we were anchored probably a good 
quarter of a mile uh-huh. off that. Um, okay. So we're pretty far from, and we decided to swim to the island. We probably should have taken the dinghy. Um, and we actually swam around the whole island. And on the eastern side of the island is the spot I'm talking about where there's big depressions in the reef. Huh. And, yeah. So we had about a half a mile swim pretty fast. Um <laughs> With two reef sharks following us all the way. <laughs> Did um, you give up your fish, or or uh, or were you still yeah, trying to keep yeah, your yeah, fish? Yeah, with the you? fish were long gone. <laughs> um, yeah, unfortunately, I I hadn't taken our because we also have like a float with a bag in it, and for some reason we just forgot it, France. And if I had that, I probably would have put the fish in that and towed that behind us, but. Yeah, I wasn't going to carry any fish on me at that point with the sharks that close. Hmm. Okay, so this is a little island. I'm just and there's no name that I can even see here on on Google Earth. And it's, yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's right called between Booby the island. It's called Booby Island. Okay, and it's sort yeah. of on the right side is or the uh, east side of the channel as you're going. Correct. Okay, that is All right. correct. All right, yeah. so I'm, I've got I've got a place mark called Great Diving on it right now. So that's what. I'm Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, so from there, we made our way uh, back uh, west and just around the point there of St. Kitts, and you'll see Great Salt Pond. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a little marina in there, which is a bit, it's like a super marina. It's, um, oh, yeah, I see it new. We didn't st- Yeah, we didn't stay there in the marina. We actually stayed just north of it in the bay. Um, and from there, we actually stayed there for about five days. Uh we did quite a bit of walking. We explored the beach, which is just north of that great salt pond. Um, and there, there was quite a bit of hiking to do. I, I think it's hard to probably articulate on Google Earth there, but there's actually quite – the mountains are quite high. Um, so, yeah, we just explored there. We relaxed after moving quite fast from St. Lucia to Antigua. We needed a bit of time just to chill out and do nothing, um, and that was the perfect spot for it. Uh, we spent a day in Basseterre, which is the main port and city. Um, look, yeah. I can't. We were just uploading YouTube videos and whatnot. I yeah, you're a lot smaller than I am. Yeah. yeah. But sorry, go ahead. Please. I was, I was going to say you're. I'm looking at Basseterre right now. It looks like more of a commercial port. It is. I mean, it, there's there's a big cruise ship terminal there where there was always two cruise ships. Um, so the port itself is just completely one big shopping mall mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. getting behind there. So, look, it's we didn't spend too much time in the city. Um, we just got some laundry done and we headed off from St. Kitts to Sabre. Sabre. Now, Sabre is, if you zoom in on the map... You'll only see clouds. Saba, S-A-B-A. Is that it? Saba, spelled S-A-B-A? That's correct. Okay. Yep. All right. Got it. Yeah, you now, can't see let, too much let, let's talk, clouds. Let's talk a little bit about costs of cruising of the Caribbean versus the yeah, Mediterranean, sure. just for a little bit, because uh, yeah, absolutely. what were your observations? Um, our observations was, I would say it was probably – at least almost double the price to live for food, um, to fill up with water, gas, all that kind of stuff. Fuel would have been twice, I think. 
We were spending a lot of money on food. Now, is this, uh, you're saying the Mediterranean or the Caribbean is twice as expensive? The Caribbean. The Caribbean is okay. twice as expensive. Okay. Yeah. Um, we actually found ourselves probably not eating as much fresh fruit and vegetables as we wanted um, because it was just so expensive. Everything was imported from the U.S. So, you know, things like pineapples and stuff were between 10 and 15 American dollars. Um, and Apple was $2.50. Um, you know, so we were in a bit of a tough spot um, in terms of, eating the good food that we wanted to we were we really took the med for granted of having so many great options for food and supermarkets and restaurants as well i mean like we realized how affordable it probably was to eat out in the med um because we found eating out in the caribbean just so expensive we would have done it only a handful of times um the marinas as well you're the good marinas are few and far between. Um, and things like gas, you know, filling up your propane and things like that was costing us between 20 and $30 for a small bottle. Hmm. We've got the small bottles. Um, you know, when we were in the med, they were kind of swap and goes for between five and 10 euros, right? Right. Like yeah. it was never really an issue. So, yeah, we found that hard. Uh, I guess the good thing about then being limited marinas is that there's a lot more anchoring so we weren't spending that much money in marinas i think we would have i think we'd stayed in a total five nights over three months in marinas um and most of that was just filling up with water uh so yeah i'd say it was expensive um and you find yourself you definitely find yourself probably getting taken advantage of a little bit as the tourist. You know, you you pay quite exorbitant prices for taxis and things like that, um, and laundry. Uh, you know, we found laundry quite expensive. So, yeah, I, I'd say overall we found it expensive to cruise there. Yeah, that's that. I've only cruised in. Uh... I've taken a boat from Puerto Rico up to uh, the Turks and Caicos, and then I chartered a boat in the mm. uh, British Virgin Islands for uh, a week one time. But my observation mm-hmm. of the Mediterranean versus the Caribbean, and this is a general observation, is everywhere you go in the Caribbean, it's it's there for tourism, pure and simple. Yeah, yeah, and, and absolutely. In, yeah, and in the Mediterranean, it's it's uh, they're all historical towns. They've been there for two, three, four, five hundred years. And yep. tourism is just sort of the latest thing to come through. So, yep. yeah. And they're all I, living I towns. They're still living towns in the Mediterranean. They're not tourist towns. They're still living towns. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you're... you know, an interesting part of uh, being in St. Lucia was uh, the presentation night. You know, there was the tourism minister of St. Lucia who gave a speech. And he said, you know, this is the biggest event for our island. This is one of the biggest cash flows and cash injections for our island in our calendar year. And for someone who's on a tight cruising budget, it kind of takes you by surprise that that's why everything is so expensive the moment you set foot in that marina. Um, 
and everyone around that marina, you, you're paying really expensive rates for taxis. You know, you're paying $20 for a taxi to really go five or 10 minutes down the road. Um, you're paying crazy amounts of money for food and, you know, they really take advantage of the mooring balls um, around the places. So, you know, we we learned quite quickly that we had to take our ARC flag down because the ARC flag just spelt money inflate your prices yeah. please yeah. um and yeah so look you you do your best because again as i said before all these all these little countries have all been hit quite hard with hurricanes so they're all still trying to rebuild as you said the only cash flow is the tourism coming in they they don't produce too much themselves um so yeah you, you do have to make that into you have to take that into consideration for sure all right, so back to Saba, and I'm just looking at some vid- mm-hmm. uh, some images of it. It looks like there's not much on the coast, but there's some beautiful mountain valleys and mountain towns there. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I, th- I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Saba is the highest mountain in the Caribbean. Sorry, the highest island. Um, it's very intimidating when you approach there because it's a bit like approaching some of those Greek islands where there's just huge cliffs. Mm-hmm. There is there are mooring balls on the western side. Okay, that's what I'm looking um, for because I don't see any place to anchor on this island. No, and you're not allowed to anchor because the whole island is a marine reserve. Okay. Um, and if you look just down on the southwestern tip, you'll see a very small little port. Okay, yeah, tiny little port there, yeah. You can't really get your boat in there. Um, they don't recommend that you. There's not much space. You, a lot of swell. Um, yeah, is around there. So we we didn't even think about getting the boat in there. I mean, there's nowhere to. There's no facilities. It's like a little commercial port. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some. You'll see a few little boats just anchored out near that port. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a few mooring balls for you there. Okay. Um, so basically, as you approach, you take up one of the mooring balls close to that port. You'll go in check in with the customs and the port authority right at that little pay. port then huh yeah yeah you'll okay. then go to the uh marine conservation authority or something pay five dollars and that just gives you free access to all the mooring balls um in terms of mooring balls i mean there's three mooring balls near that port and i think there's like eight mooring balls on the western side so pretty limited availability but we'll Said we were the only boat there, and we were there for eight days. Okay. Um, so where did you? We didn't, we didn't see another boat stop. So where did you pick up your mooring buoy? Right there at that bay. Yeah. So we picked up our mooring ball uh, just at that little port it's where we checked in, Tenny and bay, then we went Tenny Bay at I the think. time. Yeah. Sorry, say that again. It's called Tenny Bay, I think, on Google Earth. Okay. Tenny Bay, yeah. Um. But the wind was about. 25 knots with quite a big sea. So we had to make our way around to the western side to pick up a mooring ball there. That was okay, but they had warned us that there was a northerly swell coming in that night. And sure enough, at about 3 a.m., the swell arrived and it was just not possible to stay there. It was really, really uncomfortable on the boat. Um, so we actually made our way back down to the port, picked up a mooring ball, 
made our way ashore and booked a hotel. That's how bad it was. This was the first time we'd done that in oh, seven months. Um, and there was just – we really wanted to see Sabre. Uh, and, yeah, so we just had to get off the boat. So we just left the boat down there on the mooring. Okay. Um, you didn't feel uncomfortable leaving the boat on the mooring boat ball then, huh? Look, it was quite big seas. Um, I tied three lines to the mooring ball. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we actually dropped our anchor as well, France. Okay, uh, okay. The Port Authority recommended that we drop our anchor and a bunch of chain. So if the mooring was to break loose, hopefully the anchor will catch on something <laughs> along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, being the only yacht there um, and being just outside, we're pretty you know, it was easy to say to them, look, that's our boat out there. We're going to this hotel. Um, and there are two small, small little towns on Sabre. One is called the bottom and the other is called the Wimwood side. Uh, everyone there was amazingly friendly. I mean, we just hitchhiked around the island and we just hiked for about three days straight around the island. There was probably the best hiking we've done. Um, and just because of the elevation, I mean, it's so high. And this island is actually governed by the Netherlands. It's actually um, – and it's the highest point in the Netherlands, believe it or not. <laughs> it's not surprising, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was amazing. Amazing to hike, amazing wildlife, um, and just a really beautiful, pretty island. Yeah, this is – I've never even heard of Saber Island. Yeah. yeah, look, it's – and as I said, it is not a lot of people stop there. A lot of the other cruisers, a lot of our friends uh, that we spoke to, they all went from St. Kitts up to St. Martin, which is north of Sabre. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Martin is – I believe it's split in half, right? So there's a French side and a Dutch side. Uh, but again, a really great spot for boat work and supplies. So unfortunately, I think Sabre gets left off the map quite a bit. Um, and yeah, so we were really, really intrigued to explore it and see what it was all about. Cool. Um, so I'd really recommend for those that are going there, just pick the weather window, really look at the swell, um, cause you don't want to be there in rough conditions or you might want to consider going on land for a few days. Um, but also the wildlife being a Marine reserve, man, the wildlife there was just insane. Um, you know, we had... Oh, we just had sharks, turtles, barracudas, um, just amazing fish all around the boat all the time. Uh, it was very daunting. I, I actually did dive down and check the mooring. And sure enough, there was two reef sharks just cruising around. Um, there was the biggest barracuda I've seen. I'd be more worried about barracudas than I would about the reef sharks. They can get pretty inquisitive. Um, but yeah, the, the real highlight, I mean, we didn't actually go scuba diving, but the big tourist operation of, uh, is diving. Um, so we just did a bit more free diving, but yeah, for those keen scuba divers out there, that's a really nice spot to hit. Cool. Well, that's, that's good information. So Sabre's way, way up there on your list then, huh? What about yeah, St. Absolutely. Martin? What did you think of St. Martin? Did you head on up to St. Martin then? No, we didn't actually. Oh, okay. We uh yeah, we made our way to the BVIs from right. Sabre. Right. Um so yeah, we were sort of 
we were running out of time a little, so we'd had about a month left. Um, and our original plan was to go to the BVIs and then over to Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we made our way up to the BVIs. Uh, we spent two weeks um, around the BVIs. And do you say before, Franz, that you chartered a boat there? We chartered the a boat in the U.S. Virgin Islands and then sailed oh, the most US. of the time over in the BVIs. So we left at ah, okay. St. Thomas and sailed on over to uh, uh, over to the British Virgin Islands. So, and that's right. just quite a while ago. So, but we we found that we enjoyed the BVIs a lot more than the U.S. Virgin Islands. So. Yeah, look, unfortunately, we didn't actually end up going to the U.S. Virgin Islands or to Puerto Rico um, simply because it was going to be a really it was a hard time for us in terms of visas. Yeah. Um, it was going to cost us about 500 Australian dollars, um, what, about 350 American dollars, just simply to do the whole visa runaround. Really? Um, just to, just to pull yeah. in? Wow. That's ridiculous. Because, yeah, being uh, Australian, uh-huh. uh, we can enter the U.S. on the visa waiver program, which only costs you $12, which mm-hmm. is great, except the one problem is you can't enter the U.S. on your own boat hmm. on the visa waiver. So it would have meant we would have had to catch a ferry from the British Virgin Islands to the US Virgin Islands, activate our visa waiver, catch the ferry back, and then enter. And the whole, you know, the process, the ferry was 100 US each way, oh, 100 US for the okay. two of us each way. You then had to clear out of the BVIs, clear into the US, clear out of the US, into the BVIs, <laughs> and then clear into Puerto Rico. So, look, the whole thing just became a bit too hard, to be honest with you, and... uh we ended up just staying in the BVIs for thirty days. Well, I think and you picked we, better the two uh, the, the the two areas personally. So I I wouldn't make a big effort to go to the U.S. Virgin Islands. I, you you picked the better of the two. So yeah, well, I have to say again, for people to charter a boat, there's a huge charter um, industry there, mm-hmm. and it is actually a really great place to charter a boat. I mean, it's easy sailing. Uh, there is so many spots to to explore. It's a little bit. There's probably too many mooring balls around. Everywhere is flooded with mooring balls. Each costs between twenty and thirty US a night. I guess if you were chartering and on a holiday, that wouldn't bother you. It'd be quite nice to just, just to tie up to a mooring ball and have the peace of mind. But you know, we had to kind of find a f- little spots here and there to anchor um, to not spend our money on the mooring balls but yeah really great diving all the islands we you know norman island did you make your way down there uh, i got down to virgin gorda that's about as far as i got uh, yeah okay yeah so where's there's norman um, island? some great shipwrecks to to go and explore okay um, zooming in here but that's all right you, you continue on i have i'll go through this on google earth on my own at some point in time sure sure yeah, so look, we just uh, we checked in at Roadtown, which is the main the main port there on in mm-hmm. the BVIs in Tortola. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, we made our way south to Norman Island, spent a few days around Norman Island, and then went to Peter Island, um, and we basically just went anti-clockwise around the BVIs. Uh, 
we made our way up to Anagata. Okay. Which is like a coral atoll um, just okay. north. Yeah, I never got out to Anagata, but I did see it on the charts. So I thought that would be fun to get to. Yeah, look, it's it was quite a challenging place to get in, quite a narrow channel. It was very shallow, very, very shallow. Um, you can actually see on Google Earth quite well, can't you, about mm-hmm. how shallow it is. Yeah. I mean, we were... Well, we would have been 12 miles offshore, and it was only 10 meters out there. Um, and as we made our way into the anchorage, I think it was a total – put it this way. When we checked the anchor, I had about, I would say, two foot under my boat, under my keel <laughs> to the sand. Um, and so it's quite hard to anchor. In, I hadn't anchored in such shallow water before. Well, it's easier to get your five, it's easy to get your five to one scope when you're that shallow. <laughs> <laughs> Very easy. But I also found that we had to put out so much chain because the, the the chain was on such an angle that you didn't have much chain on the bottom. Um, so yeah, your five to one is you might have five to one, but you don't actually have that much chain on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, there are mooring balls for those that wanted to take the mooring balls. But look, a lot of cool little stories from Anagata. Um, one of the funny ones was we were out kite surfing, and um, as we we're making our way back from kite surfing, you know, the wind had picked up quite a bit. And as we were approaching the anchorage, I was like, it looks like because our boat was sort of on the outer edge of the anchorage, and I was like, it looks like that's our boat out there, but it's 90 degrees to all the other boats. And as we got closer, Xanthi was like, no, that's not our boat. Our boat's up further, but that boat's definitely at 90 degrees. So as we approached that boat, we realized they're not on anchor. There's like no anchor out. The boat's just on a pretty heavy heel and just not moving. And they'd actually run into the sandbank just behind us. Oh, wow. Um and they were just sitting there, like, you know, so we approached them and uh, they were actually Russian um, and they chartered a boat and we approached them and I was like, are you guys all right? Like, do you need a hand? And they were there and they are like, oh, well, yeah, we, we don't quite know what to do. We've run up on this sandbar. Um, we're trying to call the charter company but can't get through to them um, and we're really not sure what to do. So I was like, okay, well, uh, I'll head into town. I'll go and find some people with a, you know, some high-powered boats because my little six-horsepower is not going to pull you off this reef. Um, and so I made my way into town and went up to one of the restaurants there, which was just off the uh, off the port, uh, sorry, off the anchorage, and went up to the bar. And sure enough, there was a few people there to help me out. Um, so I assembled a team of four other people with dinghies and made our way out and yeah it would have taken us a good half an hour to get this boat off um in the end we you know i'd watched a video i think uh or it was off before we started this adventure we did a sea survival course and i think it was actually in the sea survival course that they said you know you got to raise your sails uh to reduce the draft of the boat so we put all the sails up and we were all pushing and pulling, and, yeah, we ended up dragging these guys off the reef. Hmm. Um, and Luckily, there was not too much damage to the boat. I think probably just a few scratches on, on the keel. Um, 
And sure enough, just as we got this boat off the reef and got them safely anchored, another boat just comes around and runs straight into the same reef. <laughs> and you said, I've had enough of this today. They can do yeah, it with themselves, and, um, right? Yeah. <laughs> all of us in the dinghies just looked at each other and said, right, oh, well, we know what to do. And um, at this point, there was actually a fisherman nearby who had a high-powered boat. So yeah. we sort of changed tactics this time, and we tied a halyard uh, to the back of that boat, and that made it a lot easier, mm-hmm. not pulling up all the sails, and we yeah. just used the halyard and pulled them off. Okay. Um, but, yeah, this this Russian family, they were, they were so thankful for us uh, that we went and helped them. And, um, you know, they were like, you need to come around for lunch. We've cooked a, a great lunch. Come around for lunch. So Xanthi and I went over and had lunch with them. Um, and I, I don't know why I didn't think about it before we went, but as we know, Russians love vodka. <laughs> and I – look, between the four of us – there was five bottles of vodka um, <laughs> and I can tell you there wasn't a drop of vodka left and I don't know how they do it, Franz. I don't know how the Russians drink that vodka but they just say every 10 minutes there's a shot of vodka, there is a cheers or a salute to something and there is no way we could even drive that tender home. <laughs> we were so <laughs> drunk on vodka and I can tell you we hadn't been drinking much at all. Um but yeah, we had a really fun night and with these guys, um, and yeah, it was really interesting to be with them. So yeah, look, after that we uh, all right, I'm gonna, up our time. All right, so we're yep. gonna we're gonna stop here at Anagata. My my granddaughter yep. came up and said, "Dad or Grandpa, we got to go make a bonfire." So I got to go out with my granddaughters right now. Okay, and so that sounds good. now I don't know how long you're going to be around, but uh, if we can hook up again before you take off for the crossing we'll do another one if not we'll do it when you get to a spot when we can talk so let's just keep in touch okay sounds great franz look right. forward to it thanks a lot jackson okay no worries franz thanks for making the time mate Bye-bye. talk soon all right again consider becoming a patreon or buying some of my audio products which would help you prepare for the written portion of the asa exams thanks Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.